بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Start off with a verse of the Quran. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Inni wajjahtu wajhiya lillathi fatara samawati wal arda hanifa. Wama ana minal mushrikeen. Inna salati wa nusuki wa mahyaya wa mamati lillahi rabbil alameen. لا شريك له وبذلك أمرت وأنا من المسلمين That is the dua that is recited recommended to recite it and then you say Bismillah Allahu Akbar when you sacrifice an animal when you do a qurbani an udhiyya So today our discussion is about something which is around the corner which is going to be Eid Al-Adha and Eid al-Adha is considered to be actually the greater Eid, even though many think that it's the one after Ramadan. They're, they're both great times, and they both have different purposes. So in this particular one, Eid al-Adha is the Eid of sacrifice. That's when uh, we have been legislated a sunnah of Ibrahim alayhi salam that we follow, which is to sacrifice an animal. Today, uh, because of recommendation from several people that there's not much out there in terms of the virtues and the rulings of the qurbani or the udhiya. In Arabic it's actually called udhiya. And dhaha means to sacrifice an animal. We also call it qurbani, especially in the Indian subcontinent it's called qurbani. Qurban, I guess, comes from the concept of uh, becoming close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or giving something for closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And animal sacrifice is considered to be a way to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala anyway. Traditionally speaking, sacrificing animals, even in other cultures, other nations, even before Islam, sacrificing an animal was a very important aspect because that meant you get some food. Now, of course, many cultures, they would do it. It's, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this in Surah Al-An'am. They would do it for the wrong reasons. The people of Makkah would do it for the reasons. They had really some really extreme ideas about animals. They would leave certain animals and say that this is for such and such an idol or whatever the case is uh, for different animals. And they would say, you can't eat from this or so-and-so can't eat from this. They had all of these crazy. So Islam done away with all of that and said, look, you can sacrifice them. And there's two times which are recommended. One is at the Eid al-Adha and the second is uh, the Aqiqah which is when you, uh, again, when you sacrifice, when you have a child. So those are the two times that we have been recommended to, to sacrifice. So today, let's start first with the virtue. Why do we sacrifice? Then we're going to look at some of its major rulings so that uh, we don't make mistakes and our, inshallah, our animals that we sacrifice will be accepted from us. So obviously this happens in Dhil-Hijjah. It happens in the month of Hajj, when everybody else goes for Hajj. Uh, actually, uh, the two times which I explained, the Aqiqah and the, uh, the Qurbani at uh, Eid al-Adha is something that's done by Muslims all over the world. In the Hajj itself, uh, or for Umrah, um, 
and, uh, and, and so on. For the Hajj itself, they have uh, other forms of sacrifice as well for the sake of maybe uh, the penalties for doing something uh, in violation of the Ihram. There's also that if you get to do the Umrah and Hajj during the uh, days of Hajj, uh, during the months of Hajj rather, meaning you get to do an Umrah just before the Hajj, uh, whether together or separately, then you have to do a sacrifice which is called Damush Shukr, which is uh, for gratitude that Allah has given us the ability to do our Umrah as well. So there are other cases as well in which you give a sacrifice. But for the majority, it's going to be two times that they have access to this. So let us first understand where this comes from in Islam in terms of Eid al-Adha itself. Where does that come from? And that comes from Ibrahim alayhi salam. This is a story that you all know. And this will be a story that will be discussed more in depth generally uh, closer to the time of Eid itself. And on Eid itself, they talk about the story of Ibrahim salam and Ismail salam. Ibrahim salam sees a dream and he sees himself sacrificing his son Ismail salam. He sees it two to three days, three nights rather. So then he tells his son about it, who's very young. His son says, Ya abatif alma tu'mar. سَتَجِدُنِي إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهُ مِنَ الصَّابِرِينَ The whole story is mentioned in a few places, but especially in Surah Al-Safat, the discussion is there. You can check it out there. He says, do, do whatever you've been commanded to do. You're going to find me, if Allah wills, with the will of Allah, of the patient ones. I understand that this is a command of God, command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what he requires from us, so that's what's going to happen. So Ibrahim salam then takes him. And it's a long story, but he takes him to Mina. So he's, they're living in Mecca. Ibrahim has come to visit uh, his family and then he sees this dream. So he takes Ismail salam. He takes him to the adjoining area, locality of Mina, which is probably a, long, a large empty plain at the time. And there, what happens is that there's a shaitan that comes up. The shaitan, the Iblis comes and he is trying to whisper to Ismail salam uh, and deter him from his resolve. So Ibrahim finds out, takes seven stones, says that takes the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and pelts the shaitan. And the shaitan essentially sinks into the ground. And then after a short while again, shaitan comes out again and tries to mislead Ismail Again, Ibrahim does the same again. He casts seven stones. Does this three times. And those are the exact three places uh, which now when we go for Hajj, we pelt those, those three pillars or those three walls. They're located in the exact same places where shaitan had come and confronted Ibrahim Asim Ismail salam. So that's a sunnah that started there for Hajj as well. It's a sunnah, the way of Ibrahim salam. Then when Ismail salam takes him, when Ibrahim salam takes his son and finally gets beyond that, lays him down, and the whole story is in detail mentioned in the Quran, and he tries to sacrifice him. Ismail is there absolutely in submission. Ibrahim is there in submission to Allah's will. Doesn't question it. He, he tries to do it, but he cannot sacrifice. The, the knife just doesn't work. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala de, uh, declares, Ya Ibrahim, that you have made true the dream. You fulfilled your obligation. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends this special ram animal from Jannah to be sacrificed. That that's what we really wanted from you. So now that's where it started from. So we, in the Sharia of Islam, 
that's what we've been told to do as well, that you have to do this. Now, of course, when you're at Hajj, you have to do it more so, as I've explained earlier. But even if you're not at Hajj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved this act so much. Can you imagine it? This test was essentially passed with flying colors by Ibrahim alayhi salam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then made it that the world over during this time, people will sacrifice and they will enjoy that meat. Many times when people make a vow, there's another way that you can sacrifice is that I make a vow that I will sacrifice. In that case, if a person vows to sacrifice and the vow becomes ob obligated, obligated on them, that money, that meat they can actually not consume themselves. They have to give it out to the poor uh, in sadaqah. But the qurbani meat is something that you can actually enjoy and eat from yourself. It was then made obligatory in our sharia that anybody who possesses a certain amount of money, a certain amount of wealth on that day, who can buy an animal essentially, right after possessing a certain amount of funds, they will have to make qurbani. And those who don't, they don't have to, but if they do, they will be immensely rewarded as well. So those who are considered poor, but they can find an animal, or they have an animal and they sacrifice it for the sake of Allah, during this time, they will benefit as well. So let me mention a few, view, a few hadiths to you that mention the virtues. So inshallah, I, I think what's happening now is people, especially in the Western countries, because of the laws and regulations of hygiene and where you can uh, sacrifice animals or slaughter them and where not, it's become more like a sadaqah that you just send this money abroad through relief organizations and they do it for you in poorer areas so we almost see it like a sadaqah and you don't get to eat from that meat and it's actually a sunnah to eat from that meat the prophet would pray and that's what he would first eat on that day you know uh, after sacrificing the animal and it would be the the internal organs the heart and liver and those would be they they cook very fast so they would sacrifice uh, they would sacrifice the animal sort of animal take won't take that long and then they'll put that on the fire and, and then they would eat that but today we had a lot of people in the West, I would say the minority probably get to eat their own animals. The minority, I think the majority just send it out. And even those minority who get to, send, uh, to eat their own from their own sacrifice, it's actually not even done by their own hands. I remember when I was very, very young, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, we actually went to slaughterhouses and there was this big line on eat day and we actually go to slaughterhouses or farms or whatever and we'd actually sacrifice our own animals. Of course, it's not a very easy thing to do for everybody. Even in those days, I think mostly you would go and at least just sacrifice or at least seeing it being slaughtered for you and then they would cut it up for you and skin and everything. I've done it myself a few times in South Africa, in India and then in America we would um, we'd have an agreement with a farm uh, there, you know, outside of Santa Barbara and learned how to actually skin an animal, how to slaughter it, how to hang it, uh, skin it very fast. I mean, it, it should not take you more than an hour once you get the hang of it. It's actually very easy, right? Um, it's not that difficult, subhanAllah. So they, they would do this. Now today it's become more like a sadaqah. We have no affection. We have no connection. We don't feel it. We don't see it. And it's just one of those things that... Uh, so what do you get from this? What's the reward of it? Remember, this is not an idea that it's, you do this sacrifice for the poor. That's not the primary intention of this. Right? You can do that all year long. But in these particular days, it's a sacrifice for yourself. You can consume, your friends can consume, and the poor, you give them a share as well. So Aisha radiallahu anhu's hadith that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَا عَمِلَ بْنُ آدَمَ مِنْ عَمَلٍ يَوْمَ النَّحْرِ 
أحب إلى الله من إهراك الدم وإنه ليأتي يوم القيامة بقرونها وأشعارها وأظلافها وإن الدم ليقع من الله بمكان قبل أن يقع بالأرض فطيبوا بها نفسا Hadith of Tirmidhi, the Prophet said that on the Yawm al-Nahr, that's another day, that's another name for the day of Eid, Yawm al-Nahr, the day of sacrifice. Adha means sacrifice, Nahr also means to sacrifice. So the Prophet said that the son of Adam does no deed that is more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of sacrifice than um, the sacrifice, the shedding of the blood of an animal. And it will come on the day of judgment. This animal that you sacrifice, so all of those animals you have sacrificed over the years, will come on the day of judgment with its horns, with their horns, their hair, and their hooves, and so on. And when an animal is sacrificed for us, for qurbani, before that first drop of blood falls on the ground, that already reserves a special position in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the person. It's a very valuable blood that is. Now I know if there's anybody who's interested in, you know, has gone overcome with this whole human rights issue, they're going to think, what a gory detail you're providing. But this is reality of life. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala subjugated animals for human consumption. We say that boldly, right, before it becomes a taboo to say it maybe in the future. Hopefully not. Not that I'm, you know, I, uh, you know, we enjoy meat, but I'm not fascinated by meat like some people are and obsessed by it as such. But it's there, it's halal, and it should be consumed. And uh, in moderation, it's just the way the Prophet used to enjoy it when he got it, but he didn't have it every day. So that's what the Prophet, that this is so, so valuable that a person is doing this. And it's almost like Allah's hospitality. Like do this on this day, do the best that you can on this day to get a good animal and sacrifice for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the Prophet said, فَطِيبُوا بِهَا نَفْسًا Do this with your heart. It should be some excitement about doing this with your heart. You should feel good about it. There's another hadith which is related by Tabrani from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. The Prophet said, فِي يَوْمِ الْأَضْحَى مَا عَمِلَ آدَمْ فِي مَا عَمِلَ آدَمِيٌّ فِي هَذَا الْيَوْمِ أَفْطَلْ مِنْ دَمٍ this one is similar in the sense that there's no deed that the son of Adam or Adami, meaning a human being, um, somebody from the Adamic race can do on this day uh, than the animal sacrifice. Another hadith from Ali radiallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to Fatima radiallahu anha. So her qurbani was being done. So it was her animal that was going to be sacrificed. So the Prophet told her that stand up and go and witness your animal being sacrificed. Somebody else was going to do it. Because generally women don't do it. Though they can, if they feel up to it. But he said, at least go and witness it. Because for you, By the first drop of its blood, right, that comes out, you get forgiveness for every sin. So there's a huge reward of that. Then he says, أَمَا إِنَّهُ يُجَاءُ بِدَمِهَا وَلَحْمِهَا it will, come, it will come, it will then eventually come for you uh, with its blood and its flesh uh, on the Day of Judgment. It doesn't say that here, but it says, for you, fi mizanik, It will come and then it will be placed in your scale. 
that will be a huge uh, on the pan of your good deeds and it will multiply by 70 times so you'll have a really strong heavy weight for your benefit so Abu Sa'id radiallahu anhu said Ya Rasulullah when he heard of this exchange he said Ya Rasulullah is this special virtue that you're telling Fatima radiallahu anha is this something specifically for your family for the family of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa because obviously they are a special family that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has specially gifted with lots of virtue or is this for the, all the Muslims so he wanted to just clarify that that's a huge reward you know uh, what should we do it's not, it's not cheap to sacrifice animals I mean animals are expensive to come by they are an asset so it's like okay sacrifice these animals and enjoy them so he said this is specifically for the family of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and for all the Muslims universally as well so this is a benefit for everybody so we learn a few things number one the first drop provides forgiveness for the person doing it uh, number two uh, it will the animal will come and be mashallah an asset for us in that scale of good deeds on the day of judgment and number three what we also understand is that you should do this with excitement and you should witness it and you should be there and so on and so forth now from this we what we're understanding in general as mentioned by the jurist as well that for a person to do their own sacrifice is the best for them to actually sacrifice on their own that's the best in fact the best sacrifice is the one you would do that is as closely resembling Ibrahim Alislam's deed that doesn't mean take your son it means that take an animal develop a relationship with it feed it well right uh, nurture it for as long as you can with the sole intention that I will sacrifice this just like Ibrahim Alislam developed that love for his child and he was told to do this he was told to do this against obviously what human nature would want a human emotion human compassion human connection that they have right so that would be the best thing but again that becomes very difficult nowadays to do when you're giving it out in other places there are still possibilities you can find farms or slaughterhouses and and so on where people do this if you really look another hadith which Imam Tabarani has related from Ibn Abbas when the Prophet said that out of that which you would spend your silver which means your money in right nothing more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than a sacrifice that is done on the day of Eid so this is really magnifying the rewards of it and really emphasizing the idea so now there you go that's what you get for doing it now remember it's an obligation if you've got the money anyway and I'll explain how much money you need to have and everything I'll explain that soon but it's an obligation but at least in Islam alhamdulillah any obligation you get huge amounts of reward for it so that should be why you're doing it as well right so there's another hadith uh, which is related in the Targheeb Zayd ibn Arkam radiallahu anh said that the companions of the Prophet sallallahu asked him once Ya Rasulullah ma hadil adahi Maybe the, what are these sacrifices that we do? Because there was a lot of weird types of sacrifices uh, that were quite prevalent uh, and widespread during the Jahili times. So Islam came to destroy a lot of the ignorant practices and rituals and things that people would do. So they asked, what is this? So this is where the Prophet clarifies where it comes from. He says, Sunnah to Abikum Ibrahim salam. This is the Sunnah of your father Ibrahim salam. So then they ask, Wamalana fiha ya Rasulullah, what do we get out of doing it? Okay, it's a sunnah of Ibrahim. What do we get out of doing? What's the reward? Kala bi kulli sha'ratin hasana. 
every hair on the animal you get a good deed for. Imagine how much hair on an animal. I mean, just try to count the hair on your head. I don't know if there may be an average that uh, somebody's done. That goes into the thousands, right, of hair strands. And a whole animal, and the hairier the animal, the better, I guess, in that sense. So they were very particular, said, oh, but some animals, they're being pedantic, that some animals don't have hair, they have wool. Fasufu ya Rasulullah. What about wool, ya Rasulullah? He says, yes, even every fiber and every strand of the wool, there's a good deed for that. So you can see, you get a bigger animal with lots of hair, and mashallah, then you maximize the potential of that. Now, you sit from morning to evening, try to count the hair. I mean, I don't think you'll be able to count. There must be thousands, right, of hair strands or wool strands on an animal's body, right? That's why don't just do the one qurbani that is obligatory upon yourself, but do as many as you can. That's what they say. And subhanallah, because the idea would be to do lots, not to store all of that meat necessarily in the freezer, although you can technically if you want, but it's to feed others as well. So that's why what I like to do is to try to do one locally. So you actually get the, you know, unfortunately I've not been able to sacrifice myself. And then what we do is we also send for the entire family a portion each. Even the children don't have to do it. It's not obligatory. We did it on their behalf, on the behalf of the Prophet ﷺ, on behalf of your loved ones. You can do that. And um, so you can do that through relief organizations because that's maximizing your reward. It can only be done during these three days as well. You can't do qurbani after that time or before that time. It can only be done at that time. So do it on behalf of them. The Prophet ﷺ actually did qurbani on behalf of the entire ummah. So this is for the ummah. That's why we reciprocate that. And some people say, why would you do that? Prophet ﷺ doesn't need it. We recipro reciprocate that by doing it for the Prophet ﷺ that will do one on behalf of him because he did it for us. So a lot of people wonder about the logic of that. Prophet ﷺ doesn't need extra rewards. He's got enough. He's, he's there already. Well, it's an act of reciprocation that hopefully that will gain us intercession of the Prophet ﷺ on the Day of Judgment. It's a qurbani that we're still getting reward for. Right? Though the Prophet doesn't need it from us, but it's showing that love for the Prophet it's a reciprocation, and it's also benefiting somebody, and there's a number of other reasons for that. So you get reward for that. You get reward for any other qurbanis that you do as well. There's another hadith from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. Prophet said, Man, so this gives us an idea of who must do it. Man wajada si'atan, Anybody who has the capability, financial or otherwise, you know, financial, to sacrifice on that day and they don't, then they shouldn't even come to our prayer area to pray our Eid prayer. Now the Qurban is only done after Eid prayer. But don't even bother. In the sense that you're not doing everything that you should be doing. You're just coming for the prayer is showing the importance of sacrifice as well. Now what we generally see that, you see, the, the imams have actually differed as to the obligation of qurbani, how far it goes. Everybody agrees that there's an obligation. However, how much is that obligation? So according to the Shafi'i school, for example, it's one per household, minimal. Minimum one per household. 
So if they do one, it's sufficient for everybody in that household, the, the wife, the children, and so on. Okay? For the Hanafi school, it's actually more individual. For any mature individual, as long as they've got the nisab, the specific minimal quantum that zakat would be wajib and necessary on, they have to do a qurbani. So if the wife has her own jewelry and money that is sufficient for what they say, 52 and a half, uh, 52 and a half dollars of silver, which nowadays I think it's about 350 pounds or so, if they've got that much of assets, then they would have to do qurbani as well. If you've got adult children who are over 13, 14 years of age and they've got that much money, then they must be doing qurbani from their uh, from their assets as well. Anybody who's younger than that or who doesn't have that money, if somebody wants to do a qurbani on their behalf, or they, let's just say somebody doesn't have 350 pounds, but an animal costs 150, or maybe 100, or even 90 pounds in another country, they can still do it. It's not obligatory, but they can still do it. So anybody who's a resident, they're not traveling at that time, they're a resident, and who has the amount of money that you would pay zakat on, like that's 350 or so pounds of uh, pounds or so at this point, you know, around this time, because silver's a bit more expensive right now. I don't know, I haven't really checked in the last few weeks, but it's around that time you can find out what the zakat nisab is and go with that. Then you would have to do qurbani. Also, if you actually don't have that money, you're not paying zakat, but you have that same value of excess assets that you're not using, that you don't use like a, a car that's just sitting around that you don't really use, uh, uh, expensive wedding dress that's just sitting around, Exce uh, excessive uh, excess amount of other you know, valuable pens or whatever that you don't use, it's just an asset, uh, you know, and so on, then those zakat you don't have to pay because these are not business assets or they're not uh, monetary assets, but that would prevent you from receiving zakat at least. Uh, you can listen to the zakat lectures to understand that more. But in that case, you still have to do qurbani. You'd sell that. If you don't have the money, you'd actually sell, that, uh, sell those assets and pay or borrow and, and, and buy an animal. Okay? So that's where it's different from zakat. You wouldn't have to pay zakat if you didn't have excess business stock or value of over 350 pounds in cash or whatever. But if you have excess assets that you're not using... Right? Yeah, if you've got two houses and you're using both, you've got three cars and you're using all of them, that's fine. You don't have to pay on that, that's not excess. You've got books you use, but if you've got excess stuff that's just sitting around that are valuable, and they, the value of that reaches over 350 or so according to current day rates, you, would, you don't have to pay zakat, but you can't receive zakat either. But you do have to do a qurbani. Okay, now when do you have to have this money? Getting technical here, when do you have to have this money? Right? So, if you have these assets on the 9th of Dhul Hijjah, so the day before Eid, the evening before Eid, before Maghrib time, right, being very particular. So, after the Asr time, just before Maghrib time, so imagine tomorrow's Eid, tomorrow's the 10th of Dhul Hijjah, today, around this time, it's, coming, it's going to be Maghrib time soon if I have that money. So, it's either coming beforehand or I receive it right now. And I have. That, that money continues to be my asset until tomorrow, once I enter into uh, the day of Eid, then, I have that, then that means I have to pay. Now if I had money this morning and it went, 
and when I am entering in on, into the day of Eid after Maghrib, there's no money or not enough, then I don't have to do Qurbani. That's just being very particular because if some people ask, oh, I only received my assets on the day of Eid or before the day of Eid. So it's, you have to have received it beforehand and you enter into Eid day with it. That's what would mean that it's obligatory for us. That's why generally I said women have uh, jewelry that's in a good amount or children have savings. Uh, when I say children, I don't mean non-mature children, but mature children, teenagers. They may have money then they would have to pay on there as well. Okay, now what do you do qurbani with? Which animals are allowed for this sacrifice? Can you just get any animal? Hey, this is a really beautiful turkey. It's a very valuable turkey or a chicken or a peacock. Right? Or an exotic bird, like a, like a really exotic dove or a pigeon or a quail, you know, one of these, or a guinea fowl or something like that. Can you do those? Can you do a, you know, what animals can you do? So it's not just about every halal animal that you can do it. There are a few animals, few categories. The first is the largest category, which is the category of the, the camel. So male camel, she camel, camels. That's the first category. The second category is, you can say, the cattle category, which essentially is buffalo, ox, bull, and cow. Right? So the cow, bull, buffalo, etc., that category can be done as well. Right? Number three, now we, so those are the two larger animals. And these two larger animals, what's interesting about them is that you can actually share those into seven portions. So you can have seven people do a qurbani, get together, and offer just one of those animals. So each person can pay one-seventh or whatever, right? Or one person can take two or three if they want to. But essentially you can do seven people for one animal in the big animals. Then the next category, the smallest category of qurbani animal is, you can say, the, the goat, the sheep, the ram, and um, what other animals do you get in that? category lamb but actually lamb is generally too small right lamb is generally less than a year old so there's a bit of detail in that okay uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about that so they have a lamb and then they have the sheep which get which is older so there are also criteria for these animals so you can't just do any sheep any lamb uh, or any cow for that matter or any calf right um, so I've mentioned the animals to you. Now, in terms of how old they must be, uh, let me just clarify first. The larger animals, that's the camel category, and the cow category, those can be done on behalf of seven. But when it comes to the, the goat and the sheep category, that can only be done one per person. So you can't have shares in that one. Right? The seven category animals... The only other condition there is in terms of the people is that they must all be doing intention for either qurbani or aqiqah, meaning for the sake of Allah. If there's five of you and you've got five portions of a cow and the cow costs quite a bit of money these days, the cow costs maybe a few thousand pounds and each portion is going to cost you between 250 to 350 pounds for the nicer Angus stuff nowadays. So if you say we've got enough people to buy six shares or five shares, 
And somebody comes and says, I don't want to do qurbani, but I want the meat. I'm just going to do it for the meat. I'll just, you know, fill up the share. That whole animal will not be for qurbani because of that one person spoiling it. Alright, so remember that. When it's seven, everybody must be doing it for the sake of Allah. Whether that be for qurbani, whether that be for aqiqah. Like somebody has had, had a son or a daughter, they can join in for aqiqah. They can do it for nafal qurbani, an optional qurbani, or a wajib qurbani, necessary qurbani. But they can't do it just for the meat. Right? I mean, it's easy. You, you do a nafal qurbani and you can eat the meat. You get the reward. Why waste the reward for anyway? Right? So remember that that's a condition here. Now, most important thing, which is a bit of a challenge this year, and has been last year as well, and maybe for the next, it's going to be a challenge, I think, for the next few years, I think, is when it comes to cows, and that category of buffalo, bull, and all of that, they must be at least two years of age. So you can't do a small calf. You can't do a small cow. It has to be at least two years of age for this to be valid. For camels... It needs to be at least five years of age. So you can't do a camel of less than five years. And when it comes to the smallest animals, the goat range, then they have to be at least a year old, one year old. So now what's happening is because the season is just before the spring, uh, before they actually become big enough. Well, no, it's actually after spring. Uh, but because they're not big enough yet, they're not year, year old because they're seasonal because then they sell them, they sacrifice and sell them. That's why they're generally too small. Now, there's one exception to this. There's a hadith in Sahih Muslim which says, the Prophet ﷺ said, لا تذبحوا إلا مسنة إلا أن يعصر عليكم فتذبحوا جذعة من الضعن Don't do anything else except that one-year-old sheep, goat, um, sheep, goat, lamb, whatever, right? You are allowed, he said, if you can't find that, then you are allowed to do a large sheep, more than six months of, so between six to 12 months old, as long as it looks like a year old, meaning it's a larger, larger lamb, okay? I'm not sure if I'm using the right words here uh, in terms of, you know, whether lamb is that, but if it's a larger, then that's only allowed in the sheep category, it's not allowed for goats. In a goat, it has to be one year old. Now in England, there's not many goats that they do. In America, they do that. In India, they do that. In other places, they have to be at least one year old. If it's less than a year old and big, you still can't do it. Even if it's a larger goat, less than a year, you can't do it. It has to be at least one year old. But in a sheep, if it's less than a year old, over six months, and it looks large enough, and the way it is that if it's placed among one-year-old sheep, you would not be able to tell it out. You would not be able to make it out separately then that means it's okay. Some people, they find out from the teeth, there's various ways of doing that. But the main thing is that you must know that. That's why they're cautioning this year that in England, don't do, uh, because no, uh, most likely you're not going to be able to find, uh, you're not going to be able to find the right age, right? Of uh, the, the right age. I've not looked into it myself, so I can't advise you any further on that, but be careful, right? Uh, anybody making a claim, it needs to be verified, but otherwise, you know, your qurbani will not be done. Now, another thing is that the animal that you do cannot be just any animal. You can't just get like the most defective animal. Hey, this animal is just like good for nothing, right? Defective animal. It's very weak. It's about to die. Let me do a qurbani of that. You're not allowed to do that. The qurbani animal also actually needs to be 
healthy and not with defects. It can't be defective. And I've actually pointed out that I'm not going to go through all of them. I'll mention it in general for you so that you understand. It needs to be the healthier, the better. The healthier, the better, you get more reward. But what's the minimum amount? So, for example, if you have an animal that is blind, that cannot see, you can't do that animal. Then they've discussed that if it's half blind, then they discuss, you know, if it has um, a certain amount of sight and there's ways of testing that if you like really comes down to the crunch where you've got an animal like that and you want to do it, comes down to the crunch, then um, they, they, they discuss exactly how much the eyesight should be and so on. So otherwise you can't do blind animals. You also cannot do animals that generally have their tail cut off. That's considered a defect. Now, the ulama have given special dispensation for some countries where they just have all the animals just cut up by some genetic disorder, or I'm not sure what the issue is, but that's just the norm in that, that area, like South Africa, I think. Right? I can't remember the exact details. But that's a separate case. Right? It's an exceptional case. Otherwise, one without a tail you cannot do. Likewise, if the ear is split, it uh, has been cut off, then you can't do that. Most of the ear has been cut off, you can't do that animal either. Or if it's got holes in the ears, some, sometimes people do these weird things with animals, right, to mark them or something like that. Bara ibn Azib radiallahu anhu asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that what kind of animal should we avoid? So this is what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said. He said, al-arja al-bayyin dhil'uha, that lame animal whose lameness is quite evident. You can see that it has a problem with one leg. At least, you can't do those animals. Num number two, awruha, The blind, animal which is clear that it's blind. It's very clear cut, blind. Uh, the sick animal, that's very sick and it's quite clear it's sick. And number four, The one which is so emaciated that the experts will tell you that it doesn't, it's, it's lost its uh, marrow in its bone. So it's really bony and there's not, there's not enough marrow in its bone, right? They have a way to tell these things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Likewise, if an animal doesn't have any teeth, right? No teeth at all. Or most of the teeth have gone. Then likewise, you can't do that animal either. There's numerous other things like that. I don't want to go into that much detail because most of us aren't going to be dealing with this, but this is at least so you know that they're supposed to be a very healthy animal. Um, many animals are castrated. They say that they're castrated because their meat, it helps to keep their meat better. Those are allowed because that's not seen as a defect, right? generally. So those would be allowed. That's why... Jabir as a hadith that the Prophet on that one occasion when he did that, his qurbani, he did two uh, animals that had full horns that were very, mashallah, very sound and that were, mashallah, very well uh, fleshy and, and, and so on. A few other things which I'll just mention for the benefit is that if qurbani was not necessary on someone because they didn't have that quantum, that minimum 350 pounds or whatever it is. But somehow they've got an animal that they bought for Qurbani. They got a good deal or whatever, they bought it. Because remember, Qurbani nowadays, I think it's probably about 150 pounds or so. 
right, from, for a goat or a sheep or something like that. Or even cheaper in other. So you've got a friend of yours in, in India or in Ghana or Gambia or somewhere like that to buy you an animal for 100 pounds. Now, it wasn't obligatory on you, was it? Now that you bought it, though, it becomes wajib for you to slaughter it as a qurbani now. You can't change your intention afterwards. It's like, I don't have to do two rakats of nafal prayer. It's optional. Once I start, though, I better finish it. So it's like that. Once you've dedicated it, you better do it for the sake of Allah. You better do qurbani for it like that. Now, what happens is that if you've got the animal, but then somehow you didn't get around to slaughtering it, right? I don't know how, you know, most people will do it. But if you didn't get around to slaughtering it, so after the, you can only do sacrifice for the three days, the 10th, 11th, and 12th of Dhil Hijjah, and the 12th of Dhil Hijjah until Maghrib. So until around this Asr time, the end of Asr time, you can do Qurbani until that time. The best day is the first day, then the second day, then the third day. So if you can't do it on the first day, then you do it on the second or third day. If you didn't manage to do it, then what you do is, you can either donate that animal. You don't sacrifice it anymore. Sacrifice is not a sunnah after this day. You won't get reward for sacrificing it now, for slaughtering it. You actually take that animal and give it to a poor person. Or what you can do is you can actually pay that amount of money to someone. If you don't have the animal, you don't want to give the animal. You can actually pay that money to someone. That much. So in order to fulfill the obligation that was on you and you didn't get to do it, you actually pay money you actually donate the, that money to the poor instead afterwards. Another thing is that you can't do qurbani until the prayer is over. So it has to be done after Eid prayer. So once you've completed the Eid prayer, then you can do the qurbani. Now, some complications arise that if you have your Eid today, and you have appointed somebody to do your qurbani in a country that is several hours before, earlier. You've not done your Eid prayer and they've already done your sacrifice. Four hours before, Fajr time. And Eid time hasn't even come in yet for your prayer. That's fine. Because what you look at is you look at the time of the one who's actually doing the deed for you. Or if you're doing it yourself. So that would be allowed. But if you're doing it yourself, you can't. Now, in villages, there's no, there's no Eid prayer. In villages, they don't do Eid prayer. So for them, it should be, they, they can, uh, I guess that doesn't, it's not really relevant to most of us here. They can actually do it straight after Fajr, because they're not going to have Eid prayer anyway. What do you do with the skin? The skin in many third world countries, that's a, mashallah, a really valuable asset. Because during Eid time, they want that skin. People come to buy the skin off you. Now, you're not allowed to sell a Qurbani skin to make money off, because it's supposed to be, you're supposed to use it yourself. You can use it to make things for yourself with that will remain. Uh, you can donate it. You can donate it. So what a lot of people do, I've seen in India or Pakistan, is that they actually donate it to the madrasas. The madrasas collect it, then they sell them off, and they use the money from it. So it can be donated. If you want to, you could actually sell it and donate the money as well. That's, that is allowed as well you can donate it to those people who could accept zakat. You could donate the money from selling it and do that if you want to. Nowadays, I guess if you're doing it through these relief organizations, you're not even going to know what happens and hopefully they're doing the right thing with it. Now, you know, the, the poor person, 
they don't have to do qurbani, those who don't have the assets. But if they've made a vow that if my such and such a work happens, I'm going to do this or I'm swearing an oath or whatever it is, then even if they're poor, they're going to have to do it for a different reason. They don't have to do qurbani because of the normal reason uh, that everybody has to do it for because if they don't have money. Uh, but because they've obligated themselves by taking a vow. So that they would do that, but the only difference is that they can't eat from that qurbani. That qurbani is going to be different, right? The one which Sharia imposes on you, right, that do a qurbani, you can enjoy that. But the one which you impose on yourself, that if this happens, I'm going to do a qurbani, then you're not allowed to eat from that one. You have to give that all, the, you have to donate all of that meat. Now, what happens if I do qurbani on behalf of one of my family members, which means either my wife or my older children, without telling them I'm doing their qurbani and qurbani is obligatory on them. Will their qurbani be done? No. It's just like if I give zakat money on your behalf and you don't know, and you didn't tell me, and I didn't tell you, then because any deed like this needs an intention from the right person, from the person it's obligatory upon. So that would actually be my own extra qurbani. It won't be on behalf of them. So let me tell them at least get their approval or they should tell me or they should know. Then it would be fine. Right? So you can do it on behalf of others as long as they know that you're doing it. As I said before that if you didn't even have an animal and you forgot about it, you didn't pay attention and then the three days were over. Now if you found out on the third day you can quickly still buy an animal and have it slaughtered for you. But if you forgot completely and then on the fourth day you realize somebody says, hey, didn't you do qurbani? You got enough money, you should be doing qurbani. Oh man, I completely forgot. What do you do now? Well, you have to take that much money of how much an animal would cost. I think it's around 150, 200 pounds these days, right? Or maybe cheaper in other countries. And you would donate that money. So you can't cut animals afterwards for that sake. You can, of course, cut animals to eat, but you can't do them for qurbani anymore. Now, when you're sacrificing the animal, you say, Bismillah, Allahu Akbar. Bismillah, Allah, just like Ibrahim alayhi salam, uh, you know. Um, that, that's related that you should... Uh, then there's another dua, which I read right at the beginning. إِنِّي وَجَّهْتُ وَجْهِيَ لِلَّذِي فَطَرَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ حَنِيفًا وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ That I direct my face towards the one who has created the heavens and the earth. And absolute monotheist, like I don't, I don't ascribe anybody else. وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ I'm not of the ascribers of partners to Allah. And my salat, verily indeed my prayers, my sacrifices, my living and dying are all for Allah, the Lord of the worlds. That's the dua that you read. Then you say, Allahumma taqabbalhu minni. كَمَا تَقَبَّلْتَ مِنْ حَبِيبِكَ مُحَمَّدٍ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَخَلِيلِكَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ عليه السلام. Oh Allah, you can say this in your language. Oh Allah, accept this from me just like you accepted this from your great beloved servants Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم and Ibrahim عليه السلام. You know when you have a qurbani animal, you're not allowed to take the milk from it and drink it. If it's a cow, for example. You're not allowed to do that. If you did do that, Again, these are very specific masail for those who are, have this luxury of having the animals. If you did do that, you'd actually have to uh, pay that much money, the value of it, uh, in sadaqah. The other thing is that one of the other etiquettes is that the Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith that when you are sacrificing, make sure your knife is very sharp. 
So it causes instant death. And don't do it at night. Generally they say it's better to do qurban in the daytime so you can actually see what you're doing. Otherwise you might cut only half the veins. There's a certain way of slaughter which is that out of the four, uh, the trachea, the windpipe, uh, the, the food pipe and the two jugular veins, you must cut at least three of those. Minimum. Right? So if you're doing it at night, you have a very blunt knife, then you're going to cause a lot of pain. The other thing is that don't do it in front of other animals. So don't let the others be witnessing what it's like. I mean, we have to have that kind of compassion for the animals just because we are allowed to slaughter any and it doesn't mean that you have to be cruel to them either. Now, what do you do with the meat once you've got the meat? So, one opinion, I mean, you can actually completely keep it all yourself. Like if you're struggling in some places for halal meat, where you don't get halal meat easily and you go, Masha, you do this, you can keep it all yourself. You can, right? But it would be better to split it up. Generally, you split them to three shares. One, you keep for yourself. You eat from it, put in your freezer, fridge, whatever. Second, you distribute among your family, friends, neighbors. And the third one, specifically for the poor. Alhamdulillah, in this area, uh, through our Nawal, uh, benevolence fund uh, we have this arrangement every year hopefully they're gonna they're not sure if they're gonna do it this year hopefully they will that uh, we get people to donate their local qurbanis so there's a arrangement to actually have this distributed among the the poor of the area mashallah so try to find some poor of your area and and do that of course if you're sending by relief they're generally going to give it to the poor anyway of course you can as i said you could keep it yourself if you want to. Cannot sell the meat. Your qurbani meat, you're not allowed to sell it. Also, if the person who is doing the qurbani for you, if he says, oh, just my payment will be a part of the meat, you're not allowed to do that. So you can't, you can give it to him for free and give him payment for his work and give meat to him as well as just a voluntary act, that's fine. But otherwise, you can actually give qurbani meat to non-Muslims as well. So this is not like zakat where it only has to go to Muslims. You can actually give it to non-Muslims as well. It's a nice time if your you know, neighbors like their meat and you've got this special qurbani you're doing. You can offer them wondering like, why are you giving us meat for? You can say that this is a special sacrifice we have and you can cook it how you want. Of course, you can also cook it yourself and then distribute it to people. That's another way to do it. Most people just give the raw meat and let people cook it the way they want. Otherwise, you'd have a lot of meat on that day. Okay, I think that covers most of the relevant um, rulings that, uh, that I can think of. If anybody has any other questions, um, please feel free to ask. If anybody has any other questions about the Qurbani. So if you are going to do Qurbani, then from the beginning of the month of Dhil Hijjah, which I think is going to be next week, then there's a recommendation. Different madhabs have uh, different recommendations for the Hanafi school. Their recommendation is that it's better and mustahab recommended to avoid cutting your nails and hair. So facial hair, um, mustache, etc. or nails if you are going to be sacrificing for those 10 days until you are going to sacrifice. It's, you take part in that. It's mustahab, which means that if you didn't observe that, it'd be the suboptimal way. There won't be a major sin for that, but it's best to observe that. According to the Shafi'is, it's a stronger obligation. So, um, 
for them, it's more of an obligation to avoid doing that. So there are differences in the madhabs for that as well. So somebody's asking that they, she's a single mother, son is 16 years old, should he be doing it for her? No, it's all individual in the sense that if you're saying practically, physically, should he be doing it? Um, well, he can do it for you. But in terms of obligation, if you have the assets, as I explained earlier, more than 300 pounds or so to your name of gold or jewelry or any other assets that are beyond your need, um, essential needs, then it's obligatory upon you. So now how that gets done is a different issue. So if he wants to do it on your behalf, he's got the money, he says, let me do it on your behalf, that's fine. Otherwise, it is an obligation on you to do it. So you can do it yourself or somebody else wants to do it on your behalf, that's fine. If he has the money also, if he has that kind of assets, then he has to do his as well. So from an obligation perspective, it would be obligatory on whoever has those kind of assets. From a practical perspective, then anybody can do it for you. Do you have to have a name when giving a qurbani? So generally the idea is that they've made it easy that if, for example, 20 of us give orders for 20 animals to be sacrificed for us, 20 goats, for example, right? Or 14 of us say two cows, that person can just think of one of us. We can just give one name there. And then we make intention for the everybody else. That would be satisfactory, right? As long as it meets the number of people. The number of animals meet the number, the number of shares meet the number of people. That's fine. He doesn't necessarily have to say, okay, one from Ibrahim and one from Ismail and one from Yusuf. He doesn't have to say that, right? He can just say, this is on behalf of that group, that party. One person's name is sufficient. Though it is better that they take everybody's name. That would be better. If somebody has 2,000 pounds that don't have a job, or politely they would say we're in between jobs, right? Um, and they have 2,000 pounds which is beyond their assets, then they would still have to do qurbani. That would be an obligation on them because they've got excess. Trust in Allah and, and do it. Just like you'd have to pay zakat on that amount as well. I think we've pretty much covered it. It's not really a massive, uh, you know, uh, chapter of discussion. There's, uh, it's, you know, there's only a limited amount of laws about qurbani. I think you become masters of the Quran, I think what I didn't cover in too much detail is about uh, the, the, the detailed laws of the skin and everything like that, but I don't think most of us is going to be relevant for. But otherwise, I think pretty much, yeah, we've been enlightened with this, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our Qurbanis. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.